say everything's bigger in Texas, including climate change. That's why Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world are gathering to work with titans of industry to build the technology that will reduce emissions and power a low carbon future. We sit down with those change makers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with the leaders of the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done. I'm Lara Cottingham, and this is the Energy Technology Podcast. And I'm Jason Etier. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the show. Um, I'm Jason Etier. Um, today, we have a very special guest host with us, uh, Nada Ahmed. Um, she's uh, here with us because Lara is in Hawaii. We're all jealous of her, but uh, I'm glad to have a, a guest host here. Nada, why don't you uh, briefly introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I'm a big fan of this podcast, and it's an honor to be able to host it today. I am an innovation strategist. I've worked uh, most of my career within the energy industry, within cleaner technologies, but also traditional oil and gas. Um, I've worked a lot with uh, digital technologies, as so I'm really excited about our guest today. And um, and, and yeah, very in interested and passionate about the startup ecosystem. Um, and I've just moved back to Houston after being in Norway for about a decade. Nice. Wow. I, I love Norway. Now it's like now is the best time to go. But um, uh, we will um, uh, have Nada with us for the next four or five episodes uh, while, while Laura's in Hawaii. I'm not going to say that again like I'm jealous. So we're here today with uh, Sergio Taburkia. He is the CEO and founder of Equipcast. I, I met Sergio back in 2016, and he's been working on this really um, – interesting problem in the industry where uh, he has brought technology to bear to bridge uh, the energy skills gap um, that we see in, in energy generally. And he's created a, a product called uh, DigiEngineer. Sergio, tell us about it. Uh, tell us about um, what inspired you to pursue this, this solution. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you both. So going back sometime, um, I worked uh, for uh, Rolls-Royce Gas Turbine Systems. And we had a predictive equipment health management technology for, for aeroderivative turbines. And what we did was that we had a service of smart people sitting in chairs along with technology to monitor the health of equipment. <clears throat> uh, then I was recruited to GE, same kind of service. And so what I saw was progressing is that companies needed help to understand the health of their equipment, the health of their assets, but you always had people doing it. And as we start looking into energy transition and everything that is happening, this is actually a very interesting decade that all this is going on because a lot of that subject matter expertise is retiring. Mm -hmm. um, millennials aren't that interested in working in energy. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of boots on the ground work that you have to do to, you know, produce energy, whether it's uh, hydrocarbons or low carbon energy. And so what we've done is that the, the next crisis is actually talent, mm -hmm. it's actually skills. So plugging in that skills gap, because what good is it, whatever kind of energy you have, if you don't have people to be able to manage it, operate and produce it. So our platform, our technology, what it does is that uh, we digitize your subject matter expertise. So Jason, let's say you're a production engineer or a liability or mechanical engineer. We take your knowledge, 
I couple that with the equipment and with our generative AI and actually take that into our platform or technology and actually understands not just overall health of an asset, but actually gives you advisories and novel content based on the equipment parameters as if you were actually monitoring and looking at it itself. So it's a very, it's a new way to actually operate or manage or produce energy. And so we're calling those digi engineers because it's a digital engineer. And so digi for digital yeah. and engineer for engineers. Yes. Yeah. So just a question there, if you could break it down for us, how do you take Jason's knowledge? <laughs> I have zero knowledge. Let's be clear. Yeah. How do you put it? How do you, do you, do you need a person? So we, so we've already digitized a lot of, kinds of different engineers. And so it depends on the asset that you're operating with. Yes. But let's say Jason's responsible for managing mm. whatever kind of energy asset. And it's in, within a certain area, geographical area. So let's just say it's Texas, South mm. Texas or West Texas. And based on the data, the operational data, Jason understands when certain things happen, you know, the weather affects this mm. or temperature, vibration, all this affects this. So as we talk to Jason, we take that knowledge, we have a proprietary algorithms and modeling capabilities that we match that with the asset itself and take that knowledge and put it in. So when, when we go live and we're connected and bringing all the data from sensors and everything else, Jason's knowledge of that asset area, vibration, weather, temperature, when those parameters start to happen, the platform will understand that and learn it over time. And if you're a field operator, uh, you're not going to have Jason's knowledge necessarily, but you'll have a lot of knowledge. Mm. But and if you're a new person that started working, so now all of a sudden I've captured Jason's knowledge, your new boots on the ground out in the field. And when all those parameters happen, all these recommendations will say you should do X, Y, and Z to fix this problem. And not only that, but why it's happening. Yeah. So, so I'm an engine person, and I, and I did jet engines back in the day. Right. But, so I'll use a, a, a terrible engine example. Um, I have an old 91 uh, uh, Toyota that, that has a radiator that sometimes goes up and down. And, and, and you look at that and go, what's going on? Why isn't it just sitting at average where it's supposed to be? And I, Jason the engineer, know, because it's my, my crummy old car, that I'm out of radi uh, radiator fluid. That's what, it, that's what it's telling me. Mm -hmm. And if I, don't, if I don't put more fluid in soon... I'm going to get a, a bad head gasket and I got to go in and repair the thing. And that'll be mm. terrible. There's nothing on the dial that tells you mm. your problem is your radiator's out of fluid. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, I ran straight to the gas station and got a funnel and, and filled it up and, and, and it stabilized things. But that's, that's, that's kind of that next level of expertise. And, yes. and I know this mm. because I, I broke my car at one point mm -hmm. uh, where I did let the radiator fluid completely run out. It's your years uh, of experience, oh, that's right? Experience, exactly. Yeah. It's that experience, experience. And, yes. and understanding that these systems are kind of interconnected and there's a symptom, mm. but the symptom doesn't tell me exactly what it is. And because I know my car has this finicky problem, I know exactly how to fix it. Yes. Um, and, and that's that's kind of an oversimplified example for a, a cheap asset. But that's a very, that's a very good example. So if I buy your car, yeah. it goes away, mm. right? Because Jason, you know, mm -hmm. you went to Hawaii. <laughs> finally so, so here i am driving his car but if i but but now i can capture it and have it and know the operational parameters and understand that i need to put radiator mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. so, so then sad. do you have these engineers working for you who come in and look at the data how, how do you work with them 
So we take the operational data from a company itself and we work with their engineers uh, and then with our, with, our, with our folks and then digitize that into the platform and our modeling capability mm. and then it goes live. And so we actually learn, we can do it both greenfield and brownfield. So if it's a greenfield project, so we take the OEM specs of the equipment and, but it's, so if you look at an asset or oil and gas production asset, for example, there's a lot of different manufacturers. That's a lot of knowledge to know. So we have a way to understand all the different OEMs and the parameters. We've done this lots of times because that's the one thing. Have you ever done this before? Mm -hmm. Yes, we have. Have you done it with real data? <laughs> yes, yep. we have. And so uh, that's a lot to know. Valves, flow lines, motors, uh, weather, everything else. So we can capture that and then go like if it's green, you know, and then go from there and the platform will learn over time itself. Mm -hmm. If it's brownfield, then we have all the historical data and we'll, you know, if it's a year, six months, two or three years, uh, that's all we need. Maybe a, a year at the, you know, we don't need to go further back, but we can. So we take that operational data and bake it into our neural network and mm -hmm. modeling capabilities. Is that so it's a digital twin, would you say that's, that? That's one aspect of it. Mm. Well, it's like a digital twin of the brain. Of, of, of a the person. person's brain. Like that's, brain. So it's not just the equipment. So Layered on top mm -hmm. of the machine. Layered yeah. on top mm -hmm. of the machine. Yeah. So now you can operate with fewer resources. Yeah. Right. A lot fewer. And, and I think one of the things I, I, I've seen you talk about before is like you can kind of take uh, one person make it's like a force multiplier of that of, of an operator right yes and it's like you can uh you can have them do the work of four people now exactly right? the, yes yeah. so tell us about uh, how you how you figure that out um and um what what that means ultimately for the your customers mm -hmm. that's a great question so the way that that kind of works in two ways so if you think from operating asset you have people out in the field mm -hmm. and then you have like your operations control center and you have people looking at it um, so we digitize an engineer. So if you're out in the field, you'll have a production engineer. You can have a data scientist in your pocket. <laughs> you'll have all of that communicating to you based on the work that you're doing in real time. So that we've actually done the very first that I'm aware of generative AI. Mm -hmm. Successful one in the Permian Basin. Mm -hmm. I was got very excited about it happening in December. Yeah, yeah. And, and so by taking that knowledge, so now you're able to do, uh, from a force multiplier, you're able to look at a lot of different operational parameters and asset conditions mm -hmm. that normally take two or three people to do that. So because we digitize that expertise and a computer can look at things a lot faster and understand them quicker. And so now when you're looking at, let's kind of simplify it, one person may be able to manage, you know, let's say, 20 or 30 wells. Mm -hmm. So now you've got someone looking at 500 wells. Mm -hmm. And we have a way to rank all and understand the health of these wells based on the operational parameters, based on a production engineer subject matter expertise or reservoir engineer subject matter expertise, electrical engineer. And so now not needing those additional roles. And when I say not needing them is because remember the problem is a lot of smart people are retiring. Mm -hmm. So where are you going to find these people? Mm -hmm. So 3 million people since 2019 between Europe and the U.S. are needed to produce hydrocarbons. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with that? Uh, 
same thing, the same problem happens with renewable as well. Um, so even though like, for example, I like to use Tesla as an example. So their lithium plant is now, you know, they just broke ground in Corpus Christi. The people that are looking for are oil and gas people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if those people go away, they're retiring. So it's, it's, so now you're, so now we jump from hydrocarbons to lithium plant from an EV perspective. So that one thing is that knowledge that we can digitize. Does that answer your question? Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. it's funny because I, I was thinking, um, it was like a year or two ago, they were retiring some of the first wind turbine uh, facilities because the operating costs were too high because they didn't have any, like the people who used to operate it were retiring. And the decision was to retire the entire facility mm -hmm. because of OPEX, because of that end of life. And, and you got to wonder, you know, as much as um, people think about renewable energy as the newer energy source, it's been around a long time. Mm -hmm. and, it's and, been a and, long and time. And a lot of those like uh, um, first wave uh, uh, renewable energy folks are at the end of their careers. Um, and um, it's it's almost the it, it's a universal challenge across mm. it is mm. it is it's universal yeah, yeah. and yeah. and I guess what you're saying is it's not replacing uh, AI is not replacing resources or yeah we're the workforce like today. Say, we're bridging you're and bridging filling the gap. in that gap that's mm -hmm. leaving and how do you get people you know to come to this industry and not everyone wants to work outside yeah. don't find it that interesting because managing an asset and operating mm -hmm. asset has a lot of you have a lot of people, you know, working outside. So how do you assist them mm -hmm. right. by taking that subject Exactly, and expertise? you need to retrain a lot of this talent to work in this way. So that's another important part. Mm -hmm. And so our platform works as a training tool as well mm -hmm. because we have what's called a time machine <laughs> in our oh, platform. Tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually, it's a button. Okay. It's a time machine button. And so you look, you know, look, you have a macro view of a whole asset. You can actually go back in time and understand the cause and effect and why. And it will show you this problem occurred because of this. And we'll actually have the, con the content text. It's not just an alarm. We go way beyond alarm. It's not, oh, this alarm was high or low. We actually produce text like what you see in generative AI based on that subject matter expertise. And so it's a great tool to, to train. And the difference that we do, a major difference is that we do, so equipment's looking in a, in a silo perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have a proprietary way to combine different aspects mm -hmm. of an asset. So think of a, we'll simplify it like an oil, mm -hmm. producing oil, you got the well, you got downhole, potentially you have the flow lines, you got the valves, the tank batteries, the separators, all of those are done separately in silos. Then you have to figure out all mm -hmm. those different parameters alarms and notifications so we can actually dynamically bring all those together mm -hmm. to a holistic systems view mm -hmm. and simplify it so here's an example i give people so my daughter when she first saw it so she can she's not a, a production she's not an engineer but she can triage mm -hmm. within 90 seconds so you think about how complex mm -hmm. that those operations are mm -hmm. so we've simplified it Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she way. can say wh what needs to be addressed first. Yes, exactly, and why, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. why, and why. It's, and it's so that's, that, So that's it's that that's both good and also can be threatening too. Yeah, yeah because people <laughs> maybe don't, people don't need college degrees then. That's right. 
No, I, I like the idea of you don't have to get out of your car. Yeah. You can sit well, in your car sure. yeah. when you're doing so, field work. But, yeah. but, so uh, that, but that's an important aspect yeah. because yeah. It, it's all, so you think about from a recruiting perspective. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't want me managing the asset, mm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, or my daughter or maybe Jason. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but this data and everything that they're seeing in front of the subject matter expert, yeah. it goes way beyond, you know, so they actually know and it's, re- it's really good for them yeah and i think that the other thing that's maybe less obvious is like when you're in the field there's a lot going on a lot Mm -hmm. and sometimes when it's hot and you're tired and things are dangerous it doesn't mean you're necessarily making the best judgment calls all the time Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. what your brain is prioritizing on is Mm -hmm. kind of what you know what your body is telling you is the most important thing and in some ways that is why it's good to extract and, and and have decisions made by someone else, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's why you have a control room situation, right? Where you have the a field guys room. are working guys. on a team, mm-hmm. uh, but now if you you can make those cycles faster and better, like you, you're going to get more repeatable decisions right. and um, quicker. Right? That yes, and then even in a control room perspective, you get alarm fatigue. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Tell us so. Tell us about what that means, because yeah. So alarm. Means. So normal alarms are high and low mm. parameters, right? That's right. it. Uh, and you have hundreds or thousands of them. Mm-hmm. So how do you actually know which ones you need to focus on? So we can automate a lot of that mm-hmm. process yeah. in itself. Yeah. Some companies do virtual field visits through their SCADA system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I might be getting a little technical, yeah. but <laughs> through, the, yeah. through the data itself. So it's the data yeah. that collects the data. Yeah. And they're going through alarms. Yeah. And they're going through a lot of stuff. So yeah. we can automate that yeah. whole process. So you're only focusing on what needs to be addressed to and why. Right. So rather than driving, mm-hmm. you know, 20, 30 miles or 40 miles, you're just focused on. And people call that management by exception, but we go way beyond that. Oh, it's mm-hmm. because we're actually providing you the reasons why and what's going on based on that. No, so I love what you're saying about taking away decision making, because like you said, Jason, we're not always the best at making decision making decisions on the ground, and we get tired of making all these decisions, right? So you can take that away, um, or we assist in that. We're, 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 you can, yeah, you can assist in that, and you can mm-hmm. maybe take away a lot of decisions that they don't need to make. They can be automated, right? Um, so I was thinking, you've now been around for since 2016. You said about seven years. True, but I the plat yes sorry, the platform no. has been around even longer. No, Is that what you're saying? no, no, no. So it's. Go ahead. No, so my question was, could you talk to us about, yeah, your journey when you started, what you had and what you have now and what were your first customers like and what were you serving them as a product and what do you have now as a product, how that has evolved? Okay, great question. Mm -hmm. So I I founded the company in 2016, Mm -hmm. but it took me two years Mm -hmm. to find a team to actually build the platform. So now we're going to 2018. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I naively thought because I have this great experience that I thought from Rolls Royce and GE and Silicon Valley that here's an idea. I can get you to invest some money to do it and we'll go off. And it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate. I met a great team um, and they were open. They, they wanted to do something for sweat equity. And so it took us a couple of years per year and a half to build the platform. So the platform itself, uh, the early beta stage was around 2018. 
But then it really wasn't until about 2019 that we were started talking to potential customers and stuff like that. Then obviously, you know, COVID hit, so that kind of mm. that kind of yeah. had an impact on stuff, but that didn't stop us from working. Mm. And so our original focus was obviously simplifying operations and everything else, but the whole the whole part of digitizing subject matter expertise has always been there from the very beginning. Mm. Um, but it was kind of hard for for people to want to think about it in that way because that's accelerated a lot, you could say, because not, there's a the big the big need that everyone knows talks about is talent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And oh we hear we've been hearing that for 20 years. You know, mm -hmm. Well, actually this time it is different because uh, I guess you want to call them baby boomers and stuff like that. They're actually retiring. Mm -hmm. So all that knowledge is going away. And it's hard to find good people. There's a lot of turnover mm -hmm. in the industry. I go to to Midland a lot. And one of the number one complaints or challenges is like, we have a lot of turnover. It's hard to find mm -hmm. good people. And so now this, we're actually, so this is actually a really good time and good place to be mm -hmm. what we're doing. So we may have been a little bit early, but now with the combination with everything is happening. Yeah. So, and when did you add in the layer with the neural networks and the um, generative AI? Because uh, I don't think I, I saw that back in 2017. So we always had that idea going mm -hmm. back then, but then in this industry, you have to have real data. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we can play around with data, you mm -hmm. know, but unless you actually have something real. So the first time we tested it at scale, it was, it was a big scale. This is over 6 billion rows of data, oh, of wow. live data. Yeah. Uh, and it was over 1,400 sensors. It was a very complex system. Um, that was in 2021. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Because data is often the hardest part, right? When it's you're building. Very, yes. So how, how did you manage to get that first set of data? I was very fortunate. The executive team agreed to let me have access to this. A, a, I mean, it was, this was, this was $15 billion worth mm -hmm. of uh, throughput uh, every mm -hmm. day going mm -hmm. through our platform. Mm -hmm. So we were connected to what I call the cash register. So it wasn't only the pumps and the valves were actually connected to the meters. Oh, they were all watching. Yeah, <laughs> it was all. So I was very yeah. fortunate that this executive team allowed me to to get access to it because yeah. that's the hardest part. That mm -hmm. they saw the value. Uh, mm -hmm. right. and yes, that, and that's that's what's important. That's, that's what's important. Yeah. And so that was in 2021. Mm -hmm. And then what and, were you able then, to do with that data? Well, so with so we tested everything. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's where we digitized control room operators, mm -hmm. we digitize mechanical engineers, we re digitize reliability engineers. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where, where we're able to really test it. One thing uh, that I always kind of clarify uh, with folks is that our full stack technology is ours. Mm -hmm. We don't use an Amazon or Azure neural network or anything. Yeah. It's all our own mm -hmm. technology stack. Mm. which is different because if you're going to do something in Google or Amazon or Azure, it's build your own mm -hmm. with mm. their stuff. Mm. But ours is independent. So we're independent because we can work both in a hybrid cloud situation. We can work on-premise 100% in the cloud. And so um, we built the whole full stack. So when we go in talking to a customer um, and they want to move to a whole different environment, they can't. We're not stuck in a in an Amazon yeah. or Azure 
Google environment. And, and I can see some of these folks want things to be on-premise where they have more control um, yes. of an instance. Yes. Um, and, and, and that's just the energy industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the energy industry. Have you seen that as an important factor for them? The yes, and I, and I kind of took that back to mm-hmm. my working days, both at GE and Rolls-Royce. And the funny thing is, so I, I, the Silicon Valley company I was with is Hortonworks, and that mm-hmm. started off on-prem. Mm-hmm. Then it went to the cloud, and now everyone wants a hybrid. So just those lessons learned, just took those lessons learned and applied it to, mm-hmm. to the company. Yeah. yeah. So I think one of the, the things you talked about was um, getting that first data set was important because the energy industry wants to see real data. And then, and then the industry also wants to get real references, right? They want to know mm-hmm. who who's tried first, and mm-hmm. no one wants to be first. <laughs> I, I, I've had customers first. tell me we want to be number six, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the bar. Like, how were, were you able to to parlay that mm-hmm. that pilot and, and mm-hmm. tell people about it? Yeah, and that not the company name, yeah. but I could actually yeah parlay that and show real results and. Uh, you know, protecting the company and everything else because yeah. we had some very interesting findings of, with the work that we did, mm-hmm. and then that gains the confidence of and uh, into you know getting customers and stuff like that. Yeah. So we so now don't so we're our concentration has not only been in upstream oil and gas, so we're doing a lot of work in water midstream mm-hmm. uh, leak detection, um, and then I was in Midland last week working on seismicity. Mm-hmm. Wait, what is seismicity? I don't know what that for, means. For earthquakes. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Because the water that's being ejected, they're saying that's causing earthquakes mm, in West right. Texas. So we're applying the same work that we've done in the past, applying it for this. Mm-hmm. So that's so you exciting. you can simulate the geology? Yeah. So this will involve a lot of seismicity recording and measurements done from a surface yeah. perspective. Yeah. But uh, the Texas Railroad Commission, the government body, even for your permits and everything else is requiring, depends on where you're at in Texas mm-hmm. for downhole measurement. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, because we, we can take downhole, we can take surface and we can combine this. And so this is a very interesting project. And so we just, I'm in the middle of the scope of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously it, you're very focused on the energy industry. Um, and uh, I assume you were in here in Houston when you started the business because like, yes. we met Station. Mm-hmm. But uh, why have you stayed in Houston and not gone to the Valley, for example? Well, I mean, because it's here, <laughs> right? I mean, this. I mean, so Houston. I I would argue that it is in that in the sense the energy capital. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So everyone is here, uh, and there's a lot of presence that's out in other places, but the headquarters are here or close to here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's great to be able to drive close to here, the energy corridor or go to downtown Houston and you can cover a lot of ground that way. Plus, obviously, there's a lot of smart people in Houston, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. A lot of great engineers. So, yeah. What have you observed, you know, because you spent some time in Silicon Valley, too, are sort of the biggest differences in starting a company here versus in Silicon Valley? <laughs> That's yeah. a great question. Mm-hmm. There's a cultural difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do give credit out west where they're they're uh, they're willing to take a lot more risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, not so much so. Mm-hmm. So you can see risk from a sense from I guess more a traditional perspective, but there it's very different. So that's why you see a lot of capital, a lot of growth there. A good friend of mine explained to me the cultural difference. Well, 
you're interesting sharing. Yeah, tell so us. Yeah. the cultural difference is, is that well, this was based on a study. So mm-hmm. this goes back as uh, Houston is more of an application mm-hmm. city mm-hmm. town and where you have a lot of smart people and they're used to looking at data. So when you present data to them, it's like, well, I see that all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. We're out West. It's invented mm-hmm. things. They invent things there. We'll invent a new way to you know, heart transplant or mm. way to drill a well. But out West, they're inventing, you know, new software, new mm. neural network, all kinds of technology. So when it's presented to you, there's a different level of appreciation of it. But when someone sees it here, it's like, oh, I, you know, that's not a big deal. I see that data all the time. <laughs> well, do you know how hard it was to, to do that and to simplify it? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like um, when people, I don't know if you remember when the iPad launched. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, it's just a giant iPhone. Well, it wasn't really, you know, and so there's a lot of work to make it look like it was a giant iPhone, but it's, it was, there was a lot of different things behind mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. I kind of, mm-hmm. to do, to make things complicated, easy is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. yeah. And one of the other things you touched on was talent was hard to find for what you were trying to build. So how did you solve that? So I, so I solved that because I think you asked me that earlier, so I forgot to answer that. So I was very fortunate. So I met the talent here in Houston. Uh, A lot of that talent is out West, but I met a team here in Houston that they were open to. We do custom software development, but all these companies that we do work for, you know, they launch and take off. It's like, we want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, good, good, good group of guys. And so I said, great. So this is going to be perfect opportunity because I need your kind of help. And they're mm-hmm. interested in mm-hmm. what I was doing. And so that's so I found the talent here, uh, but they're actually based out of Argentina. Mm-hmm. So we built the whole company virtual. Wow. So this whole virtual thing that happened during COVID, I was mm-hmm. like, I've been doing that since for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say that that's a that's a very Houston thing where you got a lot of international folks coming through here. Mm-hmm. Um Sometimes they go back, but it, it's a, it's an international town. Um, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's the great thing about Houston. Too. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Um, when you think about the the innovation ecosystem here, I, I think a lot's changed in the last six years, seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something that you're very proud of in Houston that that you've seen change um, in your time here? So I, yeah, definitely the the cultural thinking is changing mm-hmm. in, in that in that sense of more of appreciation of technology for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that definitely is changing. So you have the Ion and mm-hmm. you have the Canon here, and there's a lot of you know different places, and then you have the Med Center has its own mm-hmm. thing and stuff like that. So it is def, definite a lot of definite growth and change in that area. So that is good. Mm-hmm. It takes it's taken a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. but it's definitely in a good path forward. Yeah. And I can imagine for what you're building, you also need some capital. So how is it in terms of being getting access to that capital? That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of, it's, it kind of goes back to my earlier comments from mm-hmm. a, a risk perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I mean, there's is capital available in Houston. It's, I would say it's, it's thought differently than it is mm-hmm. out, out on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So one thing, I'm probably more lenient to this idea, um, more shooting from the hip in the sense of they're not so <laughs> concerned about business plans. Mm-hmm. 
out west mm-hmm. here you know it's like you, know, you have to be like a normal like company it's like you know, this technology is very different yeah so that traditional thinking you yeah. know that would be a good thing for it to change yeah from a capital perspective yeah I'm, I'm surprised in houston when i see go to pitch events people wearing suits and ties you know and i'm used to like startups mm-hmm. being in their hoodies right so it's you still have that corporate culture here you do so mm-hmm. and then that you hit the nail on the head so it's it's that same kind of corporate culture and thinking, which is fine, but I think if you are less, I think people also are very concerned. Not that I mean everyone's concerned about if I make a decision, mm-hmm. how bad it's going to make me look. Mm-hmm. That it's that risk. It's uh, that really goes yeah, back right. to the risk, right? So, okay, it may not work out that way, but. What, how can I help something like from a corporate perspective? Mm-hmm. How can I help and everything else? And so that whole landscape has changed a lot too mm-hmm. with the markets changing. So mm-hmm. um, early stage investing is like more like later stage investing. Mm-hmm. Do you see there's more capital available for cleaner technologies for the energy transition type of technologies versus other D- yeah areas. so there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of focus on the hardware aspect mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. energy technology yeah, mm-hmm. so there's definitely a lot that's that's mm-hmm. fantastic you still need something to operate it with absolutely mm-hmm. so that's where we come in yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. the kind of overthink so i think techno software a lot mm-hmm. of it's overlooked um i always use and it's probably not always you got to look at this from a technology perspective mm-hmm. i follow the automotive industry a mm-hmm. lot mm-hmm. And the one company everyone knows that's disrupted and changed the auto industry is Tesla. Mm-hmm. They have a software approach mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. right? And I think you should have a software approach, operating system approach going forward. Because you can use our platform to operate mm-hmm. an energy and manage an energy asset. Mm-hmm. You could start an energy company based off our platform mm-hmm. or an energy services company as well. So if you think about it from that perspective, from a data perspective, uh, and being able to do more with your resources, digitizing subject mm. matter expertise, all that other stuff, then you're going to have a different approach to doing it. And then you marry that with or put that together with hard assets, you know, clean technology and everything else. So I think that operating system part is, mm-hmm. is overlooked. Mm-hmm. And that's needed regardless of what yes, kind of asset, yeah, asset it, it is. It, exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier in terms of how the new generation, the Gen Zers, I would say, don't want to work in the traditional oil and gas right. sector, right? And that's really where you where you come in. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that, right? What role are you really playing in the energy transition to make sure that we are able to get there quicker? Absolutely. Mm. So on the first part that I talked about, you know, the talent is leaving. So that subject matter expertise. So you, you, a mechanical engineer or electrical engineer is applicable both to hydrocarbons mm-hmm. and especially electrical to low carbon, right? And so where we can contribute is on the same kind of subject matter expertise that's energy, mm-hmm. what I call energy agnostic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that would, that's, a, that's a key component. Mm-hmm. Is, is that would be one. Uh, the other part is being able to do more with fewer resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even like from a wind turbine. So if you ever, mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever driven out to West Texas, mm-hmm. you'll see trucks driving oh, just yeah. like they're visiting oils or visiting wind turbines or anything mm-hmm. else. So you're using fuel for that. 
Yeah. Or let's say if those are electrical trucks, you're still charging. So it's less use of energy, mm-hmm. period, to do to do more with your resource, reduce yeah. energy. So that is a big component to, I would say, if that makes sense. To yeah, and that impacts trans- OPEX, right? So Impacts OPEX. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. And safety. So and safety. safety is very mm-hmm. important. Um, so even if it's like a geothermal well, anything that's outdoors, you're you're susceptible to something, mm-hmm. right? And so obviously, so safety is a big impact well, too. And so that's an interesting thing to click on, right? So the, the question is, um, you know, would we have had another Macondo if it was a Quipcast, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the hypothetical you can play here, mm-hmm. where you know you have um, you know your digital engineers now mm-hmm. preventing catastrophic challenges. Right. That, yes. that, that is where you have you will have the most invisible climate impact because mm-hmm. no one sees the accident that doesn't right. happen. Right. That's right. Like, so it's funny that you bring that up mm-hmm. is because um, this person's a lot more than an engineer. Mm-hmm. So he was he was the vice chairman mm-hmm. uh, to help prevent mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Part of the framework and technology of our platform goes around that mm-hmm. from a risk and reliability perspective. Mm-hmm. So that would have been great, obviously. I mean, you can get that data and kind of play with it and stuff like that because it's publicly available. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different facets, but understanding a holistic view overall health, mm-hmm. both topside and subsurface. Yeah. yeah. So we can combine that together. But yeah, that would have been that would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't the right time. So it was that 15 was years ago or something, <laughs> right? right? So the, the technology yes, just wasn't technology there. wasn't there. Yeah, and and so now going forward, so you look at wind farms too. Mm-hmm. That goes offshore. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that offshore experience. So there's another skill mm-hmm. set right there. Yeah. Absolutely. So to digitize that and be able to operate and manage something, and then you have a couple weather. So one thing they were able to do is actually bring in weather, not just for weather's sake mm. in our platform, how is weather affecting the asset and mm. what you should do to prevent, you know, a problem or an issue? What problems or issues is it, it's causing? So we've actually done that where the weather was affecting a valve and you don't have weather sensors. Mm. So we used ambient weather. I was affecting a valve and it was trapping crude in a pipeline. And you have to understand when it's getting hot the valve does this, you know, and you have this much of throughput of crude. Mm-hmm. That takes an expert to know and do that. So we digitize that. Right. So that's so these yeah. are very complex systems, and right. then we're helping them simplify those. Yeah, because um, in in the North Sea, they are really their vision is to go towards this autonomous operations offshore. So they yes. they don't need anybody on those offshore assets right so yes. having something like a quipcast yes and a one yeah mm-hmm. a major a super mm-hmm. major i remember this goes back to when i was at ge mm-hmm. or rolls royce it's a million dollars per person oh yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for offshore absolutely so you think about that so less footprint fewer resources definitely you know big opex and safety safer. safety yeah. mm-hmm. and safety and so it's it's there that's going to take a journey. You should always have someone involved mm-hmm. making some kind of final decision because if you're going to turn on a pump, you, you know, you want to be able to do that locally. You want to be able to turn it off, let's say remotely to shut it down. But like from an onshore perspective to turn on a pump, you know, electrical, it's going to, there's a lot of safety considerations. Mm-hmm. So you want someone locally to turn it back on. But, um, 
but so we have bilateral com- capabilities in our platform mm-hmm. as well. Um, so that's that's so going back to the autonomous mm-hmm. aspect of it. So mm-hmm. you can take it as far as you want. How comfortable do you feel doing it? Now I think about it. So you think about. I'll go back to so let's say GM and Tesla has you know the self driving. So we're putting ourselves in cars mm-hmm. that do that. That's kind of interesting when you think about it like that. We're putting our own lives, even though I know we can hit the brakes and mm-hmm. yeah. get the steering wheel yeah. and change the course, but we're already actually living with it when you think about it. And the key um, input here is you're still the one who turns it on. You're still the one telling it where to go. Right. right. And, and that's where the person in the loop needs to be there. Uh, uh, to take control when they need to and, and still direct the, the desired outcome. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what do you think you need now? You know, you've, you have your platform, you've done a few pilots and you have some use cases and some customers for Cryptcast to really take off. What do you think you need now? I bet you he's going to say money. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. <laughs> That's always the answer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If capital. you have the money. Oh, yeah. The capital. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The capital, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and what, uh, what would you do with the capital? Mm-hmm. I think that's the. Mm-hmm. the so there's so there's two things. So build up further operations here and then do some more things with the platform itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, the journey that we have going with our platform is our product roadmap. I'm not going to talk about it here, mm-hmm. but it's very interesting mm-hmm. um, that it would it would take us to the capability that if you're, uh, let's say we're going to start an energy company or you're some service or something like that, without our involvement, you would be able to do this yourself. And right. so that you start looking at scale. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a lot of potential there from that aspect. A lot of it, the majority of it would go to the further product roadmap. But capital, that's what, that would be it. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. And and when you think about like the the next 18 months, are are there any um, major roadblocks that that you see um, that may challenge uh, the the vision you have? Well, um, there's no tech, there's nothing technical challenge for us. We're good about that part. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to the challenges, you know, you know, getting capital. Yeah. yeah. But really, it's not just money. Mm. It's about, okay, how are you going to contribute right. as an investor mm-hmm. or as capital? Yeah. And uh, do you have, do you share the same vision and everything else you're going to get on board? Yeah. So it's not just, you know, yeah. here's a check. And mm. so it's got to be, you so, know. So capital you know. to be able to build, but what about getting the customers on board customers on board Mm -hmm. as well that's obviously very helpful Mm -hmm. uh that can help with that aspect because you know it's beyond you Mm -hmm. you need a team to do that obviously Mm -hmm. and but yeah so that's where the capital as well as the smart capital or good capital yeah so it doesn't have to be the traditional venture capital it could also be customers absolutely supporting the growth of the company because they need that right so let's Mm -hmm. go back to your question Mm -hmm. or comment from a cultural perspective Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think I don't remember if it was before we started talking, you know, or you said, oh, yeah, we want to be the sixth customer. Mm-hmm. OK, be the first or second. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And if you really and if you really want to change and you really want to adopt technology. Don't be so scared. Yeah, because the, the impact is so little mm-hmm. to test it. I mean, and you get to innovate. Mm-hmm. 
as an operator or you know producer or serve whatever with very little disruption to your day-to-day operations and it's literally harmless mm-hmm. So it's going back because you can always inter- interrupt the system essentially. Yeah, and so we do yeah. everything. We yeah. do everything in parallel, so we're not disrupting your operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of what we do requires no capex, mm-hmm. so you can actually test it. Like our first, you know, test. I was telling you, I was very fortunate. There was no capex, mm-hmm. yet we were able to do all of these things. And so that would be the other. I guess the other good thing mm-hmm. to change. And if yeah. you want to help in that. Stop, not don't be number six, but be one or the yeah. second one. That would be good. Yeah. One of the things I always found challenging with the energy industry is um, I, I, I appreciated the technicalness uh, uh, that kind of drove the decision making. Um, but when it came to run a pilot, um, they always wanted me to give stuff away for free. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and I know, I know they're you spending have several billion in here. More, I think, yeah. But it was almost more ridiculous when you think about the project, right? Like they are going to put engineers on this. They are going to do site prep with you. Right. You're installing something physical. They're going to spend $2 million to mm-hmm. one to $2 million of time and people to mm-hmm. do a project. And I had trouble getting them to cut me a hundred thousand dollar check to pay for my product. And I, yeah. and I said, this is, and you're I'm, not making any money. I'm not making money. Yeah. On you're I'm, just I'm covering investing, your costs. You're I'm, just, I'm yeah. investing 2 million in my NRE too, but I need to show my investors that you're willing to pay. And and they would always come back and say, well, we need you to share the risk. And I say, we're, we're both taking risk here. The hundred thousand dollars isn't isn't covering anything. It's about it's it's yeah. that it's that indication. Right. And so when we say be the first customer, it's be the first paying customer yes, who shows very, us mm-hmm. this is what a commercial relationship right. looks like. At, you know, this is how we monetize the NRE mm-hmm. that we're both putting in yeah. on both sides. Yes, right. And and I think that's. Um, Challenging. I, I fully appreciate the desire to, to like take on risk together in a in a kind of joint mm-hmm. perspective, but um, sometimes that the 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 need to like have the pie evenly split uh, ignores the very real risk of uh, not being able to finance the relationship longer yeah, term. Absolutely. If that makes sense, like mm-hmm. there needs to be a way to to kind of show outside customers, sorry, other customers, other investors that there's a real sustainable commercial relationship here. That hundred thousand dollars is an investment in that future relationship. Exactly, um, but that that's sometimes hard to explain. It's very hard to explain. Yeah. So we go back to culture. Mm-hmm. So that's you know you know it's like we're not set up always to do something for free, mm-hmm. right? And I think because we have access to a lot of free software. Oh, so you're a software, so you should be able to do it for free. <laughs> you know, you can find free stuff on your phone. Yeah. I mean, even GPS is free. Yeah. Right. On yeah. your maps, yeah. So, but mm-hmm. not, yeah. So that is so that is a very hard. That is changing a little bit. I guess the good the good part if you're working with a larger company, mm-hmm. you know, as part of their ABCs, their mm-hmm. anti bribery and cor- corruption. So, hey, you have to pay for it, right? Because we're not doing you some favors, right. and so mm-hmm. maybe that can be applied to mm-hmm. with everyone else right. too. Perspective, but. Mm-hmm. Do you find that it's sometimes easier to get the smaller players on board because they are willing to take the risk? You can talk to the right stakeholder and get through their bureaucracy a lot quicker. Yes. Yeah, yeah that absolutely. Uh, that That's why I've been spending a lot of time in Midland. I love mm-hmm. going to Midland. Mm-hmm. And people are great there. And I was just there well, yeah, last week. Mm-hmm. And I'll be going back again in the next two mm-hmm. or three weeks. 
meeting with a, a CEO of a company, energy company, you know, smaller. He's like, I understand a hundred percent what you're doing. I've, I want to do this immediately. So he goes, this is going to make my life easier. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, hello. Yeah. And so, um, so yes, to answer your question. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, and the funny thing is it's kind of like the tail wagging the dog. Mm. Then the much larger ones will say, well, how are, why, how are they able to do this and mm-hmm. that and everything else? You know, with fewer resources, they're doing yeah. something different and then it potentially maybe will go upstream, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to the much larger companies. Yeah. But, and that's, that's just the way you have to sell the early adopters. And it, the big guys didn't get big by taking a lot of risks, right? In, in many ways, they, they were patient. Uh, uh, so... That's why they want to be customer number six. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, they want these smaller operators to take, to all, tell, the risk, take all the risks, and then they can be number six. Yeah, they can be number six. Yeah, and it's and you can spend a lot of time, mm-hmm. with a lot of cycles with the much larger mm-hmm. ones. Oh yeah. So, so it can be good, you know, some yeah. or not so good. Yeah. Did you? Um, is there like so? Th- the thing is with energy is a, a small energy company is still huge. Um, yes. You, like if, if you were to give a recommendation to entrepreneurs out there. Um, what's a good size of company or size of team to work for? I don't know if there's a benchmark on revenue or headcount, but what have been your findings for adoption? So like, you know, a half a billion, Mm. you know, that's a small company. company. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, That's the fun part when you're talking to investors. Yeah. You know, we're working with smaller ones, a half a billion to a billion is like, that's small. In our world, it (laughs) is. That's the fun part. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. So my recommendation is definitely... I made the mistake early mm-hmm. on because I came from large, you know, large companies and our, our customer is based for large customers. And I spent, spent a lot of cycles. Mm-hmm. So really, I would recommend working with smaller companies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In that range. Yeah. And what's funny is exactly what you said. Like the VCs would want the big names on there because they're like, you know, rate names that they recognize, but they don't realize that often if you can get more of the smaller names, that's going to get you there. That yeah. and you're not so, and you're lower risk too. Yeah. Cause if you have one or two big logos, what if they go away? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember seeing, yeah. if you have a, a you know, mm-hmm. five or six or seven smaller ones, then you're less risk. Yeah. You're more diversified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. When, I was, when I was doing my gas turbine business, oh, we had a, a few other competitors doing gas turbines out there. Um, and I remember one of them went out of business because it was 88% of their revenue came from Shell. Mm. And Shell at one point decided to divest their shale assets. Company went out of business. <laughs> and, and the weird irony is Shell came back in and bought shale assets like two years later. But but they already disrupted the yeah. cash flow so much for that one business that it just they had to liquidate it. Right. Mm. And it's, it's a lot of risk when you have that much customer concentration risk. Um, and, uh, it's, it, it's hard to walk away from your biggest customer or diversify sometimes when, when your customers are so big. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And there's a lot. So when you start looking at the smaller company, mm-hmm. there's so there's so much opportunity. There's a lot out there that you're not even mm-hmm. aware of. So that's why I like going to the field because mm-hmm. you see, and you meet a lot of different people, mm-hmm. a lot of different opportunities you're not even aware of. And then you just, they have, but you have to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that's how you iterate on your product and make it more customized to what's, what your customers actually need. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And to kind of go to that, so started on production, mm-hmm. you know, so we do water midstream, leak detection, 
So that's that's very exciting because it's a that's an important aspect. Mm-hmm. So from an environmental perspective, mm-hmm. obviously produced water and understanding uh, a whole network of water pipeline systems. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about water pipeline systems, that's less trucks mm-hmm. that are hauling water. But then the problem is, okay, we want to make sure we're not having any leaks. Mm-hmm. And so, like I think I mentioned that earlier, so we know we've done leak detection, engineer, and understand those facets and where do you go and where do you drive to? And rather than doing your rounds mm-hmm. of you know several hundred miles, you have different people looking for things. And so now you can be able to get mm-hmm. to pretty close to proximity where that leak is at yeah. in and the middle of the desert. You reminded me, I saw at RPE recently, completely different technology, but they're, they're trying to uh, solve this problem for tra- high power transmission lines where the, the leak is the electricity, mm-hmm. right? like it's short somewhere. Mm-hmm. And right now they just don't have sensors everywhere. And they were trying to uh, figure out how to detect with like the least number of sensors where mm-hmm. to go fix these giant, you know, 20,000 volt systems. Um, and that that's a, that, each repair is a project, right? And each it inspection is. on that is a project because mm-hmm. it's so dangerous. Right? So that that's yeah. great that you bring that up. So one things that we're working on so mm-hmm. are you familiar with the electrification that's happening in west texas no no tell us. so this is a big deal yeah it's very exciting because drilling and fracking a lot of that's mm-hmm. going electrical grid and you remember if you lived here in houston but you were Nor- i don't know if you were in norway at the time but remember we had the big freeze mm-hmm. so ERCOT is actually getting involved with operators mm-hmm. Because in certain areas within our grid, they're weak mm. and has an impact on costs. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we actually have applications to understand uh, the amount of energy that's being used per barrel per mm. day, mm. which is very interesting. So, you you know, as an operator, as producer, okay, within this field, within this asset, I don't know what my costs are. So imagine being able to drill down based on uh, the motor, how much electricity you're consuming, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of kilowatts you're consuming, and what's that balance. Mm-hmm. So we have a partner that we've worked with that on, uh, a downhole gauge sensor company, an artificial lift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're actually the ones that came up with these three uh, er- these three areas of focus on real power, uh, the performance of the pumps, and production quality. So. What's my quality of what my flu is and the gas I'm producing based on the amount of electricity I'm consuming and how do I lower my electrical costs? And now presenting this to operators is, is, okay, so now I have the information to better balance my operations and what impact is that gonna have on the grid? And so-and-so is over here has got, a, you know, electric, you know, their, their drilling rigs are mm. connected to the grid and you got fracking here. So it's, it's having this impact. So now you have the information, the data in real time to understand how that's mm. impacting your operations. And so you can operate in a, I guess you want to say in a safe manner. Yeah. And because you could be shut in temp- temporarily from grid issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's a complex, there's, there's a lot going on. Yeah. It, it, you're, you're able to bring in demand response essentially into a, a, industry that um, just didn't have capability. Right. Yeah. And you would need a lot of people to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's mm-hmm. where we digitize electrical engineers to yeah. understand that. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to run low on time, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think uh, when you think about um, where you're going for the next six to 12 months, where can our audience um, help support you and in, in your goals? Um, what's a good call to action for them? Great question. Yeah. So if you're an operator or producer, um, you're interested in learning more, definitely reach out. You know, you reach out to me on LinkedIn mm-hmm. or however you're going to publish, getting my contact information and not go from, go not from six, but to one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I'll have at your LinkedIn one. on the show notes. Okay. Uh, for people so at least, at up. least, you know, move to position one. Um, that would be it. Yeah. And if, if you're really interested in having an impact, especially in Texas, mm-hmm. where I think for companies and there's a lot of great companies doing a lot of great things, mm-hmm. but if you actually, from an investor perspective, you actually want to understand more how you can contribute to mm-hmm. the change that we're you know, going through, energy transition, the impact, the industry and everything else. If we're not the company, we're at least a company mm-hmm. that is doing it for real mm-hmm. and has real results and is working with real companies, it's not theoretical, uh, then from an investment perspective, that would be great too, to reach yeah. out. Yeah. And, and uh, so we'll put up your LinkedIn um, on the show notes. So what, what's the website? Tell us what the website is. Our, <laughs> so our website is the, it's www.equipcast.com. A lot of that I have are some of our use cases on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't talk, I don't have on our website a lot, what we talked about here, really a lot has to do with bandwidth. Mm. I just don't have the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you will find my, our contact information. You can see some of the work. Uh, it talks a lot about industrial, you know, Mm. 4.0, more of a generic perspective, but I just uh, just don't have Mm -hmm. the time to. And you can link up this podcast on your website. Oh, there you go. Yes. There you go. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's a, that's a very good one. Do you have any uh, final thoughts you want to leave us with before we wrap? Myself? Um, well, thank you for, mm-hmm. first of all, giving me the opportunity to talk to you both. And um, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, the next six, 12 months. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to be exciting. And, and if we're all going to do this, let's look at this. Uh, I know it's going to sound kind of, you know, corny and stuff but you know you do need a community yeah. mm-hmm. so you can't do this by yourself yeah. it's so if you're really interested you know everyone needs help it's not just myself mm-hmm. you know if you're big and small mm-hmm. companies and stuff like that mm-hmm. you definitely need help so i guess my last comments would be you know let's we can make this happen yeah in mm-hmm. houston yeah yes. so. good thanks sergio yeah. all right well thank you yeah thank you